You're listening to Cityus Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. My name is Rick Enlow. I'm your host, and I'm here with Dave Hillis, right in the center of the great city of Tacoma, Washington. How are you doing, Dave? Very good, Rick. Thank you for asking. You know, this is our uh, fourth now in our summer series, uh, which we're, I think it's nice we're calling it summer instead of, uh, you know, just the the slogging away in the pandemic series, but it's uh, it does actually... Uh, it has emerged with some incredible content because of the circumstance we find ourselves in. Yeah, I, I think absolutely, Rick. You know, we, uh, we oftentimes in Leadership Foundations talk about this idea of text without context actually leads to pretext. And so I, I think this notion of us paying attention to the context that we're in right now uh, then gives further credence to our words uh, so that they're not pretext. So, um, yeah, this is this has been a very helpful conversation with you and others around both uh, what we're calling the twin pandemics, right? The yeah. pandemic of COVID, and I love the way you framed this in terms of it, you know, being uh, uh, related to our body, and then also, of course, what is taking place uh, with our race relations, and that being an ethno pandemic. So trying to pay attention to both. Yeah, well, you know, what happens, there's a lot of people that talk about the silver lining, you know, of the pandemic. In other words, there's trying to find some, you know, positive uh, takeaways that, you know, like, hey, it's terrible that, you know, so many people have lost loved ones. But, you know, in the meantime, you know, it's caused us, and even last episode of this podcast, we talked to Cornelius Williams, who was saying that there's a, a sense in which we aren't distracted and as a result, you know, we're seeing things we haven't seen before. And, uh, and so I know that there, there are some things that have happened. And I think part of uh, the gift of this kind of time, if we think of it that way, is the opportunity to think about uh, how to lead in, in, you know, in this difficult uh, context. But also, uh, we talk about the idea of uh, equity and, and um, especially in, when it comes to, um, you know, racial, uh, you know, uh, areas. And then now we get to talk about one that's definitely related and connected. And that is um, this awareness that we have now about migrant folks, uh, folks that are like in a, we would consider them an immigration kind of status. Uh, Even recent um, in our own country, uh, decisions by our Supreme Court to continue to provide protection for, uh, for immigrants and, you know, I mean, several hundred thousand of them in our country that are uh, making a huge contribution to who we are as a culture. But it's, it's kind of part of what we're noticing or getting a chance to, to pay attention to. So when this word of reform is kind of a big word, you know, like uh, social justice reform, uh, criminal justice reform, immigration reform. Uh, but there's a, there's a pretty deep, theological uh, backstory for immigration, you know, that talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, maybe to start out first and say something about the city and the way it behaves. Um, You know, we've always talked about the city as both a magnet. In other words, uh, it pulls things together uh, and then also a magnifier. Uh, Mm -hmm. It reveals things. And so that's one of the reasons why cities are so important to pay attention to is that it's there more often than not that we can begin to pick up um, the trends, uh, the things that are happening, things that we need to pay attention to. So I think when you couple that reality of the city then with these uh, pandemics, uh, you begin to see some, I think, some really interesting things. And then the whole notion 
of immigration and migrants um, are, is absolutely at the forefront, Rick. Yeah, I think to back up half a step, I think the interesting thing about the scripture as it relates to this issue, uh, and, and usually the biblical word they use for migrant or immigrant is sojourner. Um, and it's the idea that that we are uh, sort of moving from one place to another. And of course, the, the penultimate example of that you know, becomes uh, the Israelites themselves uh, in the Old Testament. And one of the things that, that God is constantly doing through uh, the prophets to the Israelites is remember, you too are a sojourner. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's going to be effectively, uh, to the degree that you remember that you are a sojourner, uh, you will then be able to better understand uh, who you are, both as a people, as a nation, and importantly, how you're going to be able to inter, you know, uh, act with, with others. And I think that gets carried forward, Rick, uh, really into, you know, to the New Testament, uh, that, that sense of sojourner. Uh, you, we, the very real picture we get of Jesus is that uh, he is in movement, right? Um, mm -hmm. He is both, you know, in some ways transcendently uh, from heaven and, and earth, but also kind of as, as, as a bit of a pilgrim. Right. He uh, he is he is moving from, you know, one place uh, toward the cross. So I think one of the things that's really important for leadership foundations, and I think this is part of the way we contribute theologically, is to bring um, that part of our vocabulary kind of back into the conversation. Uh, you know, yes, we happen to be in these different cities. We're working there. But, but to constantly be reminding everybody that we are all at one level sojourners, thus yeah. immigrants, uh, thus migrants. And, you know, one of the people that I think uh, Rick captures that probably as forcefully as anybody in the world today right now is Pope Francis. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, here's a, here's a man that I think, you know, you almost get the sense that he feels it in his bones, uh, the plight of the, uh, of the migrant. And I suspect uh, if I was ever able to talk to, to Pope Francis about this, uh, I would bet that it comes from this deep understanding he has of the theological idea that, that we're all sojourners at some level. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, I, I'm hoping to have him over for dinner and I'll invite you because uh, <laughs> that would be a great time, wouldn't it? <laughs> but no, yeah. you're right. I, I think of, you know, I think what happens, uh, I, I often think of Pope Francis as uh, my, I, for me, a model of, of cosmopolitan thinking where he's a, a citizen of the world. Yeah. He's not, you know, he's not restricted, uh, you know, by so many political or geographic uh, boundaries. But it's so interesting, Dave, that just the word immigrant um, or migrant is is got a stigma, at least in, in our country. I remember one time my mom was sitting in this event and I was supposed to be the speaker and um it was like a church service on a Sunday. And I just mentioned that my parents, cause you know, my dad had had all these different jobs, you know, he'd do this appliance repair guy, bus driver. And I just said, I grew up as a kid, my parents were migrant workers. And my mom, after the thing, she goes, that is so embarrassing. And I like what I go, mom, it's absolute truth. I mean, we just were always on the move, you know? And, uh, and we even think about Jesus himself, not only, uh, you know, an immigrant, but a child refugee, 
yep. you know, running for their lives, you know, uh, when he was born because of Herod. So I, I think that, um, that, that there's still a kind of a historic stigma that is important for us to, to be honest about. And, uh, I know that, um, that part of, uh, what, when we talk about a city, okay, we can talk about any city anywhere in the world. This is a universal reality. That there are people that are on the move, that are migrating, that are, and like you said, in in the sojourner, or uh, I think in in one of Jesus' references, uh, stranger, you know, is a definition of it. So, yeah, yeah, so it's an important thing for us to think about as we uh, uh, take an LF look at at our cities. Yep, absolutely. Um, I should add here real quick, Rick, if by chance you do ever have dinner with Pope Francis, (laughs) don't invite me. Our friendship is over. Yeah. Well, so far, it's never happened. You're the one inviting me to all the great, you know, uh, uh, Catholic friends. So, you know, keep that up as well. But uh, speaking of a great Catholic friend, um, you know, and speaking of uh, somebody who was on the move, Noah, whose namesake is all about uh, jumping in an ark and saving the world, you know, is with us. And so welcome, Noah. Thank you. Dave, why don't you introduce Noah so we know in what uh, what's, what he's up to right now? Yeah, so I, I think that at least for a number of people in the uh, the Elf Network, uh, Noah's name is familiar. Um, he, um, in some ways, I oftentimes said is a is a bit of a poster child of what uh, Leadership Foundation's hope happens. Uh, Noah came to the local Leadership Foundation here in Tacoma uh, initially as an intern. And then over the course of 11 years, uh, really just continued to advance in his leadership, uh, taking on everything from access uh, to urban leaders and training uh, to then some operational and and fund development uh, responsibilities. And just every year, you know, for those of us that paid attention to Noah, you just saw uh, his leadership chops just continue to grow and grow. Decided to uh, to kind of dip his toe into another nonprofit and work for the Tacoma Rescue Mission and headed up their development. Uh, but I was always keeping my eye on him and looked for the moment to strike and steal him back. And uh, so here, about six months ago, uh, was able to bring Noah onto the Ella Global Office, where he is the director of global advancement. And uh, that title, um, I think, is appropriate for Noah in that uh, he really probably has his hand in as many things as anybody does uh, in the LF network. This moves from communication to fund development to our global youth initiative to much of what is happening with regard to uh, to technology. Um, He now, of course, is the one that sort of sits behind uh, the camera here, Rick, for you and I with the podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's been absolutely, again, a delight to have uh, Noah come back. The uh, other thing that, that has, I think, been great with Noah because of his role uh, in communication and some other things is that he probably, um, you know, interfaces uh, with as many local leadership foundations as just about anybody and so has a has a really good sense of kind of the narrative arc of what is taking place in our leadership foundations around the world. And I know that part of this podcast is specifically to drill into the leadership foundation uh, in Bangalore, India, uh, where uh, he had a chance to have a conversation with the president there 
Sam Ratshaker, uh, and specifically uh, as it relates to this issue of the migrant, or again, what we would describe as, as uh, the sojourners in that particular city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I agree. And, and anytime you can say narrative arc, and then Noah, uh, you see, it was an unconscious connection there. Noah, <laughs> th- thanks for all you do. I mean, you really are. You're the brains behind the whole podcast, and we just we're just the microphones. But let me uh, maybe just just for me and for anyone listening, uh, is there a connection with your namesake and uh, the biblical story that we all uh, think it might be referred to? Bonnie, it is a. I do not believe so. <laughs> You have to have to ask the folks. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's some good, wonderful uh, images of Noah in that short story in Genesis, and there's some less flattering ones as well. <laughs> right. Well, we'll stay with the Steve Carell version, but uh, but it's great. And thanks for helping us think this through uh, in terms of cities and uh, you know and migration or immigration what are yeah. some of your thoughts yeah i mean it, it has been uh one of the great privileges of working with leadership foundations as a network uh really to listen and hear uh keep our ear to the ground with what local leadership foundations are seeing in cities throughout the world and um as i've been talking with leadership foundation presidents this has just been one of those themes that continues to emerge again and again uh, particularly in light of COVID, is seeing the, the real challenges that immigrant communities are facing in cities. You know, and as I think you and Dave were talking, uh, that is uh, the interesting kind of dual reality of cities for immigrants, right? Because uh, many immigrant communities are drawn to cities uh, for a number of really positive things, right? It's yeah. a certain safety, oftentimes. Um, you know, a place of refuge, also in search of opportunity, right? Yeah, uh, right. Kind of been a big drive of uh, urbanization throughout the world that we're continuing to see, right? As cities are these places of opportunity that people are drawn to. Um, but at the same time, uh, <laughs> cities face a lot of really, there's a, a lot of really harsh realities that immigrants face when um, when they come to the city. And sometimes that's simply you know, that age-old anti-immigrant prejudice that you were describing a little bit, Rick, Mm -hmm, um, kind of xenophobia that we're seeing, you know, in the United States, but in many different places throughout the world, uh, the challenges of just navigating a culture that's not necessarily your birth culture. And then you lay on top of that COVID-19. Yeah. And, you know, we're just beginning to see how incredibly vulnerable some of these communities are where you know uh, all the statistics are demonstrating how rates of infection of COVID are really high amongst immigrant communities. And you think about it, and you know, if uh, oftentimes, if you're coming to a place in search of opportunity, there's no way you can afford to stay at home and socially distance, right? Right. You need to go to work to be able to provide for your family. Uh, oftentimes in many cities, and this is like the city uh, that we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, you're, if you're from an immigrant community, you're crowded, you're crowded sometimes into an informal settlement. Um, so there's not much distance at all between you and your neighbor. Yeah. And, then, and then sometimes there's just a lack of access for things that many of us take for granted, right? Like clean water, like sanitation. 
And then, you know, even if you wanted to uh, try to go back to your place of origin, the place that you came from, uh, oftentimes that's impossible right now, right? If you actually, uh, it would be impossible for you to leave. And so we're finding many people, uh, many immigrants in cities throughout the world that are literally stranded uh, with no place to go. So, um, so one of those conversations that I had recently was, was with Sam Ratshaker, who leads the Uvalok Leadership Foundation um, that's based in Bangalore, India. And uh, yeah, I mean, Dave, do you want to say a little bit about who Sam is and, yeah, and their work? Absolutely. Um, I've had the privilege to know Sam here, um, gosh, <clears throat> better part of 15 years. Um, Sam was, uh, like many of us, um, kind of a former youth guy, uh, actually with uh, Youth for Christ in India. Mm. Did some really good work. Uh, it was actually Bob Reverts um, who, um, God bless his soul, uh, and when he was heading up our, uh, our work overseas, uh, one of the things that uh, Bob would, would uh, do most of the time when he would go into a, a city to think about a leadership foundation is he would ask, you know, people, well, who, who's doing the most uh, holistic work uh, here with youth? And, uh, and that was how he would get these leads. So uh, when he got to India, he asked that same question, and all fingers pointed to, uh, to Sam. Um, he had already developed uh, these schools uh, on the ground as a result of his, again, work with uh, with uh, Youth for Christ, and it was just a very natural evolution for uh, Sam to uh, to basically migrate that work over into the Leadership Foundation of Bangalore. Uh, so it's the Uvalok Leadership Foundation. I actually had the uh, the privilege here about four years ago uh, in one of my stints to uh, do his accreditation, uh, where we spent uh, time in Bangalore. Mm. It's a uh, it's a it's a pretty overwhelming uh, piece of work that they have put mm. together. <clears throat> and Sam, uh, part of the beauty of Sam is that he, he uh, yeah, I would say probably as well as anybody is a, is a leadership foundation that while they've got some very concrete programming on the ground as it relates to their schools, um, they are always keeping their eye on, okay, what else is around the corner that we need to pay attention to? Um, and so I think, again, their pivot, and this is a bit of what you talked with him about, Noah, their pivot um, to both be running these schools and now beginning to think about what is COVID doing to this city uh, and some of our more marginalized populations is a classic Sam Ratshaker move, just you can pivot well and quickly because of his sensitivity to the spirit. Yep. Yep. And in fact, that's a little bit of where our conversation started, where, you know, he was describing they, they're serving 1,700 kids in these schools. Yeah. Well, what happens when kids can't go to school? Yep. Uh, and how do you feed them um, when, you know, you typically were giving them two meals, at least two meals a day? And so, you know, that was pretty remarkable in how they were able to pivot. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I yeah, like I, we said, we I had a chance to be on uh, the phone with Sam. And to start out with, I just literally asked him, you know, how the pandemic was impacting this city. So we can listen a little bit to, to Sam. Sounds great. 
yeah when i uh, when i see around the whole city uh one of the things uh, that uh, covid-19 has done is that it has opened our eyes to the most needy people you know we have been for the last 25 years we have been focusing on uh, the slum kids uh, slum communities uh, on the very poor uh, communities uh, but what i have been seeing in this last 8 uh, weeks 8 or 10 weeks i mean it's 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 uh, i don't know how to describe it it's in one way i can say it's disgusting uh, to see the kind of situation our people are in uh i mean the dirt and filth around them i and the way they live i didn't know there are such people too you know so in a way god has opened our eyes uh to the needs of our city to the needs of our people and that is something in one way i'm thankful for but i'm also very sad to see that and uh, being sad uh doesn't mean that we just watch and keep quiet but we need to get involved and do something about it uh so we have tried to help the families of our own kids who come to our schools but in the process we discovered so many other migrant workers uh and many literally thousands of them have gone back uh to their respective states in the last two weeks uh but still there are a lot of poor people around us and we continue to uh, to reach out to them so just about 2 days ago we did that uh, with about 150 families and tomorrow we'll be doing another 150 families uh, who are absolutely poor and who cannot afford uh, anything uh, to purchase or even to pay their rents uh, so this is this is the situation we are in and even as we think of the pandemic uh the impact it has on the city is um it's gone beyond the poor like there are lots of uh, tech parks in our city and these people have been affected uh they've lost their jobs many of them are working from home of course but many many have lost their jobs and they don't know what to do with themselves neither can they go back because of the lockdown uh to their respective places and uh so they have a, a few of them have come to me and said can you help pay my house rent at least for one month you know mm. because mm. my landlord says please quit you can't pay any more so you don't stay here you go back to your city or wherever you came from so we have helped such ones as well and these are ones who have been working in uh, uh places like starbucks another coffee or cafes uh, like you know the stylish places and now they are without any money without any food so such this is the kind of impact that we are seeing so it's both the poorest of the poor the lower middle class and the middle class for being affected and that's uh, something that needs to be done uh, even as we look forward to the next uh, maybe the next 10 or 12 weeks So, you know, as you can see as he's describing, it really affected everybody in a place like Bangalore. Uh, you know, whether it's Starbucks workers or tech workers, uh, all the way to garbage pickers, right? So, yeah, that's right. kind of a remarkable thing in of itself. Well, and even the the I mean, even the country of India is I mean, it's the only 
you know, country that gets called a subcontinent, you know, because it's just so dense. It's just very, very uh, unique part of the world. And even though there's some um, commonalities, but it's great to hear Sam help us understand uh, the, the diversity and density of a place like Bangalore. I would really, yeah, add to that, Rick. I, you know, again, having been there, it is, I think, for the, uh, particularly the American, but the Western mind to get any sense of density until you've actually been to a city in India. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like you want to come up with a whole new word to describe what it is that they are uh, having to face. And uh, in listening to Sam there, I was, again, just going back in my mind to imagining um, how it could even be possible to try uh, to do any kind of social distancing that is being recommended to us um, in a place like Bangalore. So it, it, that yeah. was extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we've heard examples all for a long time, heard about, in, in fact, the city of Calcutta, you know, it's the same uh, square footage as the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, yeah. you know, but with like, uh, you know, million as many people as Mexico City. I mean, it's just amazing. So um, it's just great to be able to, in this way, um, through the, through this medium, to to visit with Sam. Thank you, Noah, for that offering. And what else did you uh, did you talk about? Yeah. So you know, we talk more and more, and you'll see here he uh, up comes uh, this issue of immigration in his community. So he's going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Let's listen in. Okay. Uh, two days ago. Uh, we went to a, a slum where only people from uh, Calcutta City are, are there. And we asked them the same question. Why did you leave Calcutta? It's such a big city, big, larger than Bangalore. What brings you here? And they said, see, we don't get that kind of money that we get in Bangalore. And uh, of course, there are not enough jobs because the, the population is much higher than Bangalore. Uh, so, so they want to get good jobs. They want to uh, live well. It's not the, they do not want to live in luxury, but at least they get a better um, a salary if they, if, or a stipend, you know? So this is one reason many, many of them have come here over the last uh, 20 years. And of course, uh, the, the tech parks have very much to do with that because 20 years ago, the tech parks from literally from, the U.S. and from Europe and other countries, they began to come here, invest money, uh, construct buildings and, you know, all kinds of things. And many of these people were attracted to the building construction. So that is how we have lots of these migrant laborers. But what I saw two days ago of these people from Calcutta, uh, they said, I mean, I asked them, what do you do then, you know? They said, uh, we are here as garbage pickers. We pick garbage. And uh, so in front of their house, I mean, the huts, the, the, the garbage and the filth that is just loaded there. And I said, what do you do, garbage picking? No, we segregate wet garbage from dry garbage. And the dry garbage, we uh, like bottles and cans and plastic. We go and sell it to the recycler, and we get about uh, about uh, uh, what's that? About um, two dollars a day. You know, that's that's the income they get. So, but he's, they said in the last eight weeks we've not been able to do that. So we don't have money to eat food. 
uh, we are just surviving on things that are thrown away. No. So this is how many, many people have come from other uh, parts of the country. So part of what you see with Sam is here's a guy who knows his community, his city really well. He's uh, served very vulnerable people for decades. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, he describes his eyes being opened to the plight of immigrant communities that he didn't see before. Wow. And, and he goes even deeper here to talk about, uh, you know, how even specific populations of immigrants have it even worse. So he talks about how uh, if you're coming from the north, like a place like Calcutta, uh, you can't even get food. Mm-hmm. And the other sad thing also is when we were distributing food, uh, or food grains, uh, when the people had lined up, we were just getting into a conversation with them and asking them where they come from and those kind of things. And uh, so we asked, have you all received any food grains or food packets from anyone else besides us? And some of them, the especially the local people or the southern uh, southerners, they said, yeah, we've, we've got uh, food packets before. And uh, so it's been okay, you know, for us. But then there were these people from North India and uh, they said, no, even the food packets, the food grains were being distributed in front of us. But we did not get any of that because we are not from the Southern states. We are not from your Karnataka state. You know, uh, so we need to be registered in our respective states. And that's where we get the food from, the, the government has to provide. So that is why many, many thousands of migrants have gone back because they don't have an identity here in uh, Bangalore or in our state. So that's a sad, sad part of it. And then he talks about uh, uh, the Domari, which uh, as I understand it, as Sam is describing to me, uh, it's it's sort of the Romani people of India. And as he's talking about, you know, working with uh, this group of people in particular, it just kind of breaks your heart uh, when you hear how Sam's heart is broken, where this group of people that have been so overlooked and mm-hmm. so marginalized um, are hit with something like the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, literally have, have nothing. Yeah, actually... Uh... We would also call them uh, Dombaris. These are people who just keep going from one place to the other, you know, wherever they find pastures, either to eat food or uh, where they can earn money. And they have just kept moving from one place to another. And many of them have come down south as well, hoping that they will be able to earn a living, you know. So uh, this is how it is. So it's a, it's a, it's a cultural mix. It's European. Indian and South Indian or North Indian, it's a, it's a total mix. Now, this particular group here in Bangalore, uh, their only occupation of, uh, yeah, I should say occupation, is that they make these, uh, the musical drums. You know, like you may have seen the, I don't know whether you've seen any of our Indian drums. Now they make those very artistically and then they go and sell it uh, at tourist sites. 
right here in Bangalore city in close to shopping centers and they literally force people to buy them and uh, i've i've encountered them many many times and i would say of course i don't need a drum at home i'm not a drummer uh, there's no one at home would drum but uh, you know like they pester you uh, and when i saw the conditions that they were living in i would no longer call it pestering i mean i felt like crying when when i saw the the oh, sorry Uh, when I saw the surroundings that they were living in, you know, and I said, how can I refuse? How can I say, no, don't sell this to me when, when they are suffering like this, you know? Yeah. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, we've got to do something we've got to get into action and so i see a hope a hope that we christians or the church is waking up is realizing our responsibility and saying we cannot sit quiet we've got to do something and we will do it so that's that's the hope that i can i can say So in Sam and in the work of Yuvalok, you know, here's a group whose, you know, eyes continue to be open more widely uh, to the pain of a group of people in that city. Um, and they're responding. Again, we talked a little bit about how they've really shifted. They're, um, they're doing outreach to immigrants every single day of the week. Uh, they actually have a coalition of people um, uh, a, a network of organizations called Helping Migrants. Hmm. Um, and so they've, I think, in a really remarkable way, uh, you know, been responsive, right? When we talk about responsive leadership, they've responded mm -hmm. in some really remarkable ways to meeting the needs of their city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What a great example, too, of uh, I think about how, you know, this word, uh, sort of a meta, you know, like, you know, how metaphysical is beyond what is physical and how, how you can hand he can hold in the same hand this awareness of of god uh, above and beyond and in and at the same time then also have this sort of microscopic awareness that there's a very specific people group that have gone unnoticed it kind of reminds me of you know the new testament when they uh it came to the awareness of uh of peter that there are some um unserved communities. And that seemed what, what Sam is kind of uncovering. And um, just uh, like you said, uh, it, it, it just causes us to realize the, the great work that is being done. And at the same time, um, uh, I'm feeling myself like I've uh, been under praying, you know, yeah. for some of my brothers and sisters, you know. You know, the other, I think, interesting thing that kind of gets raised up, knowing your, uh, your conversation with him, you know, one of the words we use these days, uh, particularly as it relates to migrants, but is, you know, the length by which we go to otherize um, yeah. people. And, and I'm, I'm was just thinking with Sam that I think a part of the Holy Spirit's work in us all the time is to be moving through these layers of the otherizing that we, we all do. Um, 
And, you know, let's face it, right? We've gone through that. That is a horrifically painful process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm delighted, you know, in some ways to listen to, here's this veteran urban guy um, that is still in process, right? He's still, That's right. Um, you know, as much as anybody has probably not otherized, but he goes, oops, you know, here's a place. And I think it does raise the question uh, provocatively for all of us. Um, who, who are those groups uh, that we've otherized uh, in our yeah. own life? And, yeah. and are we uh, willing to kind of begin to walk through the process of, of, of getting that healed at some level? And so that's a, that was a stunning thing just to listen to that about, about Sam. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good takeaway. The, I also think that for me, a lot of times, you know, when it comes to someone who's on the move or who's, you know, a migration kind of uh, group, you know, you, you kind of think, Hey, let's just settle down. Right. <laughs> you know, trying to figure out ways to get them. And I think what you hear is that um, to move with someone and to be in the movement with them and, and you know, is really um, a beautiful thing. And, and to, to, to say, like you said, Dave, that not only are they not other, but they uh, I share in their plight. Like I, um, you know, I'm with them on this, you know, we, we have to get, you know, some help here. So yeah. thank you, Noah, for that incredible conversation. And, uh, you know, for just keeping us aware, like, like Dave was saying, when you're as the communications guy, you, you know, you're talking to all these folks who uh, you're able to kind of hear the, you know, the similarities and the differences and appreciate, you know, your, your willingness to include us. Yeah. Well, thank you all for having me. Now, our brand new, almost brand new uh, closing segment for our podcast is uh, uh, we, we're asking for our guests to come uh, with a, a recommendation to our listeners on something that would help us continue to see the city as a playground. And it could just be a, you know, an idea, a resource, uh, you know, an experience. It, it could be anything. And uh, so what do you have for us, Noah? Okay. Well, I've actually got a, uh, an activity for okay. my recommendation. And uh, this comes out of, uh, I was actually in my hometown uh, with my wife and kids recently, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, we, the uh, wife and I got a chance to go downtown for uh, dinner at one of the few restaurants that was open these days. Um, and we did a mural walk after dinner. Um, and so my recommendation that I give to you all is uh, a mural walk in your particular city. Um, Interesting. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty cool and pretty wonderful and, and a unique way to see your city, especially when a lot of downtowns these days are pretty sparsely populated. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, especially when museums are closed, you're able to see these remarkable works of art. So we had, uh, there was one that was, all of these rock legends like uh, Freddie Mercury and Jim Morrison and Prince and David Bowie. There was a really beautiful uh, Latina Virgin Mary uh, that I guess is a pretty famous one. And then I couldn't believe this, but I guess uh, the, the original artist of the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, uh, she did a reproduction of that art 
um, with a couple additional women. She felt like there weren't enough women in the original one. And so that's another mural. So, I mean, I think just as a way to appreciate the diversity of your city, you know, the the local artistic talent. And then, you know, to see, uh, you know, to see a city as really a canvas for human creativity mm. uh, of all kinds, I uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah, oh. I think that's great. You know, I've often thought that um, there's a lot of people who can, you know, uh, help us think about the city, but it's the artists that help us feel what the city is about. And so I think the poets and the musicians and the, the graphic artists are, are, you know, really helping us or including us into the, the, you know, sort of intimate personality of what's happening. So that's a great recommendation. We thank you for that, Noah. And thanks to uh, Sam for, uh, for his, uh, his kind input. And, uh, and thanks to you, Dave. I'll see you next time on our next podcast. Great, Rick. Thank you. Thank you.